Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. I am uh, I'm honored to be here. I have uh, my daughter, Becca, who's watching online. Uh, she's, she's working at our church in Hawaii, but she's still watching her dad online. I don't know how you do it, but she does it. And uh, I'm so grateful to be here. This is probably about my fourth or fifth time since meeting Pastor Jurgen and Leanne. I want you to know that Pastor Jurgen and Leanne have brought courage to a lot of pastors. Uh, the, their staff have brought courage to a lot of pastors, and I'm absolutely grateful. I'd be remiss if I went on without even mentioning my beautiful wife, Lisa, and my family right here. I'd like to see the, the, our, our family photo back here behind us and uh and yeah thank you I'm blessed. I am so blessed. I can't believe it. And so that's my wife, Lisa. Uh, Lisa and I have been married for 29 years. Lisa, can you stand up and wave at them, honey? This is my wife, Lisa. We've been married for 29 years, and it has been the best 29 years of Lisa's life. I'm, I'm just... Come on, tell the truth and shame the devil, somebody. And, uh, and then that's my, my, uh, my daughter, Becca. She is uh, getting married in January, and we're, we're excited for her. And uh, then my youngest daughter, Kara, she's a junior in high school, and uh, she's doing amazing. And then my oldest daughter, Courtney, on my right-hand side, uh, she's, the, she's the little two-year-old girl that I was a single father to um, at the age of 21. Uh, when I walked into a church for the first time, she came with me homicidal. Uh, suicidal, uh, all of the above. Uh, that was me coming to church for the first time. And then God grabbed a hold of my heart on song number two, because back then they played six songs before they preached. And some of you are already complaining after song three. And, uh, but back then, when dinosaurs roamed the earth in 1989, they played six songs. And then, and then you were ready for the preaching. And so when I walked into church for the first time, she came with me. And I have had custody of her ever since. And she was the one that kept me alive. I was homicidal. Like I said, I wanted to hurt myself. And it was because of her that I stayed alive. And then no, no wonder Jesus wanted to save me. And God did something. And um, as a result... That is my, my son-in-law, Jason, and my two beautiful grandkids. This is Bowie. They named her after David Bowie. Uh, and then that's Otis, and they named them after Otis Redding. And they love music, and they're from Portland, so they don't smile. And so... <laughs> I told them, I'm paying for the photo. I need you guys to smile. So next one, next family photo, they will smile. So that's my family. Um, it's honored to be here. I'm excited that you are here, and so am I. I've been pastoring my church for 25 years, well, 20, 21 years, um, 21 years. Uh, I was a youth pastor for five years. And when we started off in the ministry, there were things that we needed to preach to keep the people fed in order for them to grow. And especially one of the things that you would preach is you'd preach about different religions in the world. So how would Jesus have an answer to the Buddhist? How would Jesus answer a Muslim? What would Jesus' reply be to uh, someone in New Age philosophies? That way, all those different things. And those are things that we needed to address. But now, not so much. Today, we wrestle about things that are different, ideologies, uh, different isms and schisms that have been creating havoc in our society. These are the things that are actually, we have to have answers for them. 
About a year ago, Pastor Jurgen was coming to our church. It was the 20th year anniversary of Inspire Church and my daughter's 16th birthday. I mean, this is a monumental weekend. And so if you're going to bring somebody, you're going to bring somebody who, like Pastor Jurgen. And so Pastor Jurgen, being one of my closest friends, I brought him with me. He, 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 was, he came in. And it was during that time that I was approving videos. I was proving, approving the 20th anniversary video, looking through it and scrolling through it to make sure that, wow, that everything was going well. They did an incredible job. I was looking at my daughter's sweet 16 birthday party videos and pictures about her and the timeline of her life along with the timeline of our church. And it was in that moment that while I was waiting for Pastor Jurgen, mind you, I was waiting in the Trump Hotel, ironically, <laughs> ironically, um, because we always make a deal with the hotel um, in order to put our guest speakers in. And the other chain that we were using did not renew their contract with us, so the Trump Hotel wanted our business. And so ironically, while I'm waiting there in that hotel, I'm looking through these videos. And all of a sudden, what should be a weekend to celebrate, I start crying. Now, I want you to know that I'm not a crier. I mean, I'm a soft man in the, in, inside my heart, but I don't even cry at the notebook. You know what I'm talking about? I watch that. I don't even, I, I hold it all together at the notebook. I just won't let it crack. You know what I'm saying? And then, but during this time, I'm looking through these videos and I start crying, but I'm not just start crying. I start bawling and I'm not just start bawling. It's bitter. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I'm mad and I'm, I'm mad because where we were a year ago, guys, I don't know. We're on the middle of the Pacific. If something happens to Hawaii, we can't go nowhere. We're not, we're not, we're not getting on a plane. You can go drive to Nevada if you want to. You can go drive to Florida, to Texas. If something happens in Hawaii, we're, we're in trouble. And so with that pressure that I was feeling, I was thinking to myself, where am I going to send my daughter to college? Am I going to, is she going to complete high school in, in Arizona at my brother's house? Uh, in, all these thoughts were going on. And at that moment, while I was crying, it was a bitter cry and I was mad. And I started saying this, Lord, they're ruining this country. God, they're ruining these islands. I was so mad. I was so bitter, so upset. It shouldn't be like this on my 20th anniversary and my daughter's sweet 16. And I started crying. The prophet Jim LaFoon told me, Mike, you were like Jeremiah who was crying outside the, the, uh, the, the temple of Jerusalem while the city burned. That's, that's what you were going through at that moment. And at that moment, I decided that I would, you know, I was been a, a, a pastor and a Christian long enough to not stay in my bitterness and to stay in my sorrow too long, that I had to flip it and I started, I had to turn it into praise and I had to turn it into worship and at that moment I started to prophesy over the city I started to prophesy over the islands I, I began to prophesy that God would do what he once did before in the 1830s and the 1840s when one of the greatest revivals in the history of the world took place in the kingdom of Hawaii where 95% of the people called themselves born again believers in Jesus Christ and I began to prophesy over that and it is in since that time that I've decided that I would be preaching on revival and preaching on reformation so that we could change Hawaii for the better. So as I had been doing my research and the hunger and desire that I have had to, to see what is going on in our world, and I realized that in Daniel chapter 7, 25, that I had this verse that totally made sense when I started reading it. Said in the last days, in the, during the end times, so to speak, in, in these days that we're living in, that Daniel 7.25 says that he shall speak the Antichrist words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. And that's what stuck out to me the most. The wearing down of the saints. Last year, I was feeling quite worn down by what was happening all around us. And it is in that time 
And in that place, while I felt like I was being worn down, we were being wearing down, and it is now I could put words and articulate what we were going through as a state and what we're going through as a country. However, this is nothing new because the Apostle Paul began to write letters to two churches that were very, very important to the church in Corinth. He wrote, the, Corinth, the Corinthian church was a, was a very worldly church. They still had, they were saved, but they had not yet been sanctified, if you know what I'm talking about. And the church in Ephesus at the same time, they loved Jesus and Timothy was their pastor. It was a huge church, but they still were behind the curve. And when Paul writes this letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, he says that the weapons that we fight with, Dr. Matt, the weapons that we fight with, right, are not the guns that you got right there, are the weapons of the world. But on the contrary, the weapons that we use have divine power. Everybody say power. It has divine power. Our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. You know what a stronghold is? A stronghold is not necessarily a fortification. A stronghold is a human reasoning and false arguments. So in other words, the typical word that we're using today is called a social construct. What's a social construct? It's, it's, it's a big word. A social construct packs a big punch. Here's what it is. It is a teaching, an idea, or a dogma that is completely fabricated by man that is contrary and antithesis to the word of God. That's what a social construct is. But if a social construct stays there long enough, it moves from social construct and it moves to an ideology. And if it becomes an ideology and it permeates its way into society in every sphere and sector of society, then we are in trouble. That's why Pathfinders is so critical, everybody. You got to register for that Pathfinders conference because it will change society in the name of Jesus. And so Paul says this. Let me go back. He says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension. A pretension is something that is hostile, hostile to the Christian faith. And then sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. No wonder I was feeling the way that I was. No wonder what I was seeing was affecting what was going on. But then Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in verse 4, uh, ch chapter 14, verse, chapter 4, verse 14. And he says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect a mature body of him who is the head and that is Christ so I began to look at this and I began to think and do my research I said if I'm going to teach on this subject I better know what I'm talking about I'm going to have to spend some time in it I'm going to have to be able to articulate it the best best way that I can and so when I began to look at this there's several people that have helped me I've drawn inspiration from them I have gleaned from their books from their podcasts from their literature and I'm going to tell you that one of the first ones is Vadi Bachman. Vadi Bachman wrote a book called Fault Lines. And Fault Lines is an incredible book that tells us what we are going through as a nation with the social constructs that are going on, Vadi Bachman. Another person is Dr. Ed Young, and the other person is Pastor Jurgen, and the fourth person was Sammy Rodriguez. 
But when I began to put this message together, we began to find how did this, how did we get here in the 20th century and into the 21st century? The first one is through a man named Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud was all about sex, even though he don't look like it, but anyway, he was all about sex. <laughs> Sigmund, Sigmund needs to smile. But Sigmund, back then, Sigmund Freud wrote, it's all about pleasure, satisfying your, your basis nature, nobody telling you what you can do with your body, everything that, that, that you want to do, if it feels good, go right ahead and do it. In other words, Fred, um, Sigmund Freud saw us as dogs in heat or spawning salmon to take some of Darwin's evolutionary, evolutionary theory with him. If we were the most basest forms of behavior, if we started to do that, then we would become animals rather than human, human beings made in the image of God. And so what Sigmund Freud tried to do is to get us to just act naturally, so to speak, rather than acting spiritually. The second person that got us to where we are today is number two, is Friedrich Nietzsche. Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche came from Germany, and he said that God is dead. He's the first person to announce God is dead. It's funny because he announces God is dead, but when he dies, he dies of a migraine that lasts three years. Incredible. Him, he said, nihilism is everything. In other words, nothing means nothing. Nothing means nothing. And it was about pride and the lust for power. It's about power and domination. In fact, in the 1920s and 1930s, Germany was heavily published, I mean, punished because of World War I. And guess who, who they blamed? They blamed the Jews at this point because they were the easiest to blame because they were prospering. Friedrich Nietzsche gave birth to the extermination of six million Jews. He didn't do it himself, but he created the social construct that became an ideology that took out a, almost a whole race of people that you and I love. Here's the third stooge of the three stooges. Here it is, number three. And this one is the most sinister of them all. His name is Karl Marx. Karl Marx. Karl Marx was the beginning or the founder of Marxism. His ideologies on Marxism was, have been absolutely dangerous. When I was a freshman at the University of Hawaii, when I was teaching, taking a History 151 class, and in that class of History 151, where we were learning about civilizations and empires like the Assyrian Empire or, uh, or the Babylonian Empire or even the, the ancient Chinese dynasties in my lab, I don't know how it happened, but we got slipped the Communist Manifesto. And if you did not read the book in your lab, Communist Manifesto that had nothing to do with History 151, you would not pass that, that class. I barely made it with a D because of that. Marxism has done nothing good but only evil. As a matter of fact, over 110 million people since Marxism entered into society have been killed as a result from Paul Pot to the Kims in North Korea, to Hitler, so on and so forth. We can take these guys off the screen. Thank you very much. But when I began to look at this and I realized that this is not necessarily anything brand new. It's often that the enemy will take something that was once used for good and turn it into something totally different. Let me give you an example. The word woke. The word woke four years ago, I would say the word woke. As a matter of fact, I would consider myself as someone that stayed woke. Borrowing it from hip-hop culture, being part Hawaiian, Filipino, all the way out in the middle of Hawaii, we thought the word meant something totally different. 
However, when we begin to realize the early emergence of that word and its true meaning. In 1962, the brilliant William Melvin Kelly writes an essay in the New York Times. And in the New York Times, he begins to plead with his people to stay awake, to stay aware, especially in a time, do you have the picture of, of, of William Kelly by any chance? To stay awake and to stay aware during a period where the nation was going through a very difficult time when it came to the civil rights movement. He was encouraging people to make sure that in this place that they were, that it spoke to a generation, that it was wrong and the nation needed to make things right, that people of all colors, of all ethnicities, races, and religious practices needed to be treated with respect and dignity and equality and acceptance. The word made sense. And for over 40 years, the word was used even in the church up until four years ago, me personally. But four years ago, I started to see the enemy hijack, misappropriate, and begin to use that word for people's, for the leveraging of political parties or for businesses or for sports franchises in order to use it for their good. I began to see that the leveraging of the struggle of people was now being used in order for marketing. And that's when I began to say, we've got to bring up the news of where this word comes from and the original meaning of these words by William Melvin Kelly. During the civil rights movement, William Kelly, William Kelly was a proponent of making sure that we had racial harmony. However, when you would take the word woke, if you were to say, what does the word woke mean? Four years ago, oh, yeah, caught me in. I'm woke. I'm aware of injustices. I want to write justices. I'm against uh, racism. Absolutely. I want to make things right. However, if you were to take the word woke today, Here's how some of the people will give you a definition. The first one, let me give you Vadi Bachman. Vadi Bachman in his book, when it comes to wokeism, says, this expression of the worldview behind critical theory, cultural Marxism, the idea that your eyes are open to the oppression around you and who the oppressors are, Vadi Bachman. Second person, Ed Young, Ed Young Jr. says, wokeism is an authoritarian worldview that seeks to deconstruct the foundations of our Christian faith by overwhelming, overpowering, and overthrowing those who do not adhere to its ideology. This is the new terminology two years later. Here it is, Sam Rodriguez. It is a secular worldview where relativism, victimization, gender, and race serves as the pillars. Pastor Jürgen Matesis, simply in ignoring and diluting of the truth. All of these men who have given their own definitions have put in time, energy, blood, sweat, and tears into coming into a critical moment in our history. But as we look back, this is not brand new. The enemy was trying to do it to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, if you will turn your Bibles there to Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, it says in verse 1 that then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and he became very hungry. I don't know about you, but I'd be hangry by day two. Starving by day, by day 20, but hangry by day two. Here it is, verse three. During that time, he, the devil came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, 
but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. Watch this. And said, if you are the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with your hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded. The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to a peak on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, I will give it all to you. He said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. These three things that we find in those three temptations of Christ go all the way back, as far back into the garden, far back and even into the heavenlies. Let me give it to you. Number one, it's the desire to feel good. The desire to feel good. The desire to satisfy your nature right now. Satisfy your desires right now. Don't, ex- don't, don't go through the process. Don't honor the process. Just satisfy yourself right now. That's what Satan was trying to get Jesus to do. It's the same thing that Sigmund Freud tried to get us to do over a hundred years. Satisfy your need right now. You've been single long enough. You've been praying. You've been waiting. It's time. Or or, not time to get married, but time to let yourself go. You've been holding on and you're holding on to your integrity and you see things are not working out. You got, and you've losing, you're losing your patience. Satisfy yourself right now. Go right ahead and do it. In other words, it was impossible that Satan was telling people that God, that the people are looking for an economic Messiah, using his power to bring the economic power and prosperity to Israel. While Jesus is still hungry, while Jesus is at his lowest point, the desire to feel good is brought in by the devil. Number two, it's the desire to look good. The desire to look good. Now, not the desire to look good like, like you guys all look good. By the way, San Marcos is like the best looking campus that I've ever seen. Like... Everybody's CrossFit. Everybody's a model over here. Even the guys with beards look good. You know what I'm saying? You guys all look, you guys look amazing over here. But it's not the desire that did I wear the right shirt today that I want to look good. By the way, do you like my Hawaiian shirt? It's like, you see the back? You see that? It's pretty fire, right? Anyway, it's not that desire to look good, but it's desire to look good in front of people to make yourself look good better than what you really should, right? To make yourself look good. And that is rooted in pride. Pride is a combination of not just Freud, but a combination of Nietzsche and a combination of Marx. Pride. As a matter of fact, when the enemy takes Jesus to the highest point up there in, in Jerusalem, to the holy city, to the top of the temple, he tempts him to jump off. I think it's, I find it very interesting that in the book of Ezekiel, the Bible tells us that Satan, before his name was Satan, his name was Lucifer, and he was in heaven. He was one of the three archangels with, uh, with uh, Gabriel and Michael. There was Lucifer. Uh, there was no Donatello. There was no Michelangelo. That's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, everybody. Um, but these three were the archangels in heaven. And if you were to break it up into one-third, it's interesting how they would probably oversee one-third. Because when Satan rebels, Lucifer rebels in heaven, in the heavenlies, recorded in the book of Ezekiel, when God kicks him out, he takes one-third of the angels with him. And they become the fallen angels. They become the demons. And his name now becomes Lucifer. 
And so pride was his problem. Pride was getting himself into that position of getting kicked out of heaven. Here's number three. Number three, here it is. The the desire to have goods. The desire to have goods. Number one, the desire to feel good. Number two, the desire to look good. And number three, the desire to have goods. What do I mean by the desire to have goods? There's nothing wrong with you owning a house or a Porsche. Nothing wrong. Or, Or a Wrangler. Or an electric bike. <laughs> but wherever we're headed right now in society, you will own nothing and be happy. You own nothing. Not that you just won't own a house. You won't even own the car you're driving. That's what they're telling us. You will own nothing and you will be happy. The globalists. You know, you heard about them, right? Right. Okay, I know you have. I know you have. You guys are early adopters. <laughs> we're all late to the party. Think about this for a moment. The desire to have goods, it's rooted in envy, envy. And then what happens is the enemy will try to always get us to find our villains so that we can be the victims. But God has not called you to be a victim. God has called you to be more victorious than ever before. God has called you to be victorious in Jesus Christ. And so as the worship team is coming up, and you're thinking to yourself, well, Mike, thank you so much for showing us the desire to feel good, look good, smell good, have goods. Thank you for pointing out where all this has come from. Thank you for the Nietzsche, the history lesson. But Mike, how do I get my family and myself through a season and a moment like this? Simply, you must know the truth. The Bible, the word of God is the truth. Because if you don't know what the Bible says, you have no response. You got to be able to say the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says. You have to be able to proclaim the word of these Bibles. Can I tell you that the average American has 3.5 Bibles in their home? 3.5 Bibles in their home. I don't know what the point five is. Is it the Old Testament or the New Testament? I'm not sure, but 3.5 Bibles in their home. And most people in China would die for a page in the underground church. Not the state-approved church, but the ones that said, we ain't going to be state-approved. We're going underground. Because we'd rather be underground than be state-approved and certified. They don't have the scripture. We do. I've hidden your word in my heart, Psalm 119.11, that I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word in my heart. So I don't lust, so I don't steal, so I don't gossip. I've hidden your word in my heart, so I don't lie. I've hidden your word in my heart that I do right by man. I've hidden your word in my heart that I see the world clearly, the way that others, maybe some people see it, maybe some people don't. God, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You got to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Number two, you got to wrap the truth in love. It goes back to what Paul told the church in Ephesus. He says, Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. It's interesting because when we look at truth, there's only one true truth. The true truth is the word of God. But we live in a society that says that's your truth. This is my truth. That's why it's really interesting because sometimes maybe you came from that background that you would say my God would never do that. Well, you better read your Bible to make sure that God didn't do that. Because oftentimes... When I was a youth pastor, I would take out a Mr. Potato Head and I would, as an illustration, I said, if you want to put the ear by the mouth, you can if you want to. That's up to you. 
If you want to put the leg by the ear, you can put that too. I said, oftentimes we're designing our own God as if he was a Mr. Potato Head. Because why? Because we don't know the truth. But then when we wrap the truth in love, there's truth. I'm telling you, this, this, this church will tell you the truth. And it will give it to you with humor and with love and with sincerity. You want to go to a church where you're hearing the truth. I want to welcome you to Awaken Church, everybody. Welcome you to Awaken Church. You know your pastors, they're all ahead of the curve. They're the tip of the spear. They've been talking about this stuff for over a year and a half, two years. They've already been talking about it. And most people won't go. They won't even say this. They're afraid to even say the word woke in their own church. They're afraid. They're afraid of the backlash that people would leave. But they're not, they're not ready for the truth. But when you get the truth, you get the word of God, you get the truth. This is what's going on in society. Man, I tell you what, there's nothing like it when you know the truth because the truth will set you free. Okay, here it is. You wrap the truth in love. How do you wrap the truth in love? Let me give you an illustration. I'm not a jalapeno eater, but I like jalapenos in my salsa and I like it in my guac, but when they're chopped up, I, I can only take jalapenos in small doses. But some of you, you can grab that whole jalapeno and eat it just the way it is. Like, you love that pepper. There's something about that that gets you going. You like to sweat from it, you know what I'm saying? You love the heat, you like, it, you like the burn right there, you know what I'm saying? Some of you, you like the jalapeno. You like it like that. Not me. I still need it in small doses. But if you were to take that jalapeno and you would wrap it in honey-glazed bacon, I might eat that jalapeno. But if you were to take that jalapeno and if you were somehow able to hollow it out and infuse it, with guava-flavored cream cheese wrapped in a honey-glazed bacon, I will eat that jalapeno all day. And some of you, you all jalapeno and no bacon. Jalapeno, 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 like true, 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 no love. You know what that breeds? That breeds rebellion. Some of you, you're all bacon, but no jalapeno. Honey, I love you, baby. I love you. Come here. Why are you spanked? Why are you hitting your sister? Stop hitting your sister. Come here. You need a hug. You need a hug. You don't need a hug. He needs a whack. I'm just, I'm just checking if I'm in the right church. Wrap the truth in love. And here's the last one. The last one is probably very, very critical. Here's the last one. Always be courageous. Always be courageous. Because you know why? There are going to be times that people are going to say that you're hating and you're not hating. You're just telling the truth. And you've said it in love. There's so many offensive statements that people are getting offended today more than ever before. We are so offendable. Oh, I'm offended. Oh, oh. I can't believe. Oh. We let everybody know on Instagram how we're feeling. Everybody on Facebook know how we're feeling. We let everybody, maybe some people in the church know. Oh, I was just so offended. But can I tell you that the word of God is highly offensive? And Jesus wasn't even trying. How about this? Jesus is the only way to heaven. That could be offensive. We're all sinners and you have to repent if you want to go to heaven. Come on. How about this? Only a few will find heaven and most people are likely, go to, likely going to hell unless they change their ways and follow Jesus. That's offensive. 
Well, thank you. I thought there were, all, there were many roads to, to God. There's only one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. How about this? Men can't have babies. Scientifically impossible, clinically validated to not be able to happen. The Bible says, he made them male and female. There are only two genders. Not 63. The Bible. It's the Bible. A biblically defined marriage is between a man and a woman. It's in the Bible. Your body is not your own. It belongs to God. And every life is precious from the moment of inception. Come on, we got to have courage, people. We got to be able to stand on the word of God. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. Jesus, we love you. We honor you and we bless you. We thank you, Lord, that you're removing strongholds and social constructs and opening up our minds to the truth that you have for us. Father, we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are demolishing these things before our very eyes. Because once we can identify them, we know the devil's scheme and the devil's plan. So Lord, we thank you for Awakened Church, all, every single campus. We thank you for San Marcos. We give you the praise, the glory, the honor in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you. Would you please be seated just for a couple of minutes? I want to lead you in the most important prayer that I will pray this week. Some of the most important prayer you will ever pray in your life. And no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done. I know some of you probably have to go, uh, if you would just stay here for, for about four more minutes. I know you've got a job to do with the church and assignment. Thank you so much. But I want to let you know that I want to give you an opportunity no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, no matter what's gone on in your life in the past, where you are, your present, that God loves you, that you are not here by accident, you're here by design. You are here because God's got a plan and a destiny and he's got an appointment with you right now in about one, one minute and 25 seconds. He's got an appointment with you. You know why? Because he loves you. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. When I came to Christ at the age of 21, homicidal, suicidal, single dad, wasn't easy. Usually it was the single moms that had it harder. I was a single dad. And it was, man, I, I realized what it's like to be a single parent. That's not easy. I was living close to the poverty level at that time. Uh, I was hearing stuff, what was going on. Hawaii's small. San Diego's four times bigger than Hawaii. And I was working, I, I was working at an airlines. I was working as a valet. And all my friends, they kept, they kept going to church. And I thought, you guys go to church. I, I'm not going to go to church. And I, I was raised up in a very traditional Christian environment, but it was all here. I, I memorized everything. I could do this church service in my, in my sleep if I wanted to. And I loved being there, but it was here and it never went here. I never heard John 3, 16, the, the God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I never heard John chapter three, verse three, that you must be born again. All of this, I never heard, never knew this, but I could practice all the other things, but I never knew it. And it was in that time that my mom says, Mike, you can't take communion. I said, why? I stayed. I can't take communion. I stayed. I stayed. So I didn't want church. I'm not mad at them. I just didn't want church. And my friend Brandon comes to me and goes, you got to come to church because he saw me going like this. He said, Mike, you got to go to church, man. You, you're dangerous. You're dangerous. You have no purpose. You're dangerous. You're fighting on the road at the stoplight. You know, you got road rage. I'm like, I know. I know. He says, you got to come to church with me. I don't want to go to church. 
kept going, you got to come to church. I don't want to go to church. Come to come church with me. I don't want to go to your church. Finally, I said, come to church with me. All right, all right. I can get this guy off my back. So I said, tell me about your church. Well, we've got guitars. Guitars? Yep. What else you got? We've got drums. You got drums in your church? Are you kidding me? You got drums in your Yep. You got choir? No, we don't have choir, but we have singers. Awesome. What does your priest or your minister look like? Well, he wears jeans. Jeans. What's he teaching from? A Bible? A Bible! I'm not kidding you. I said, that's not a church, bro. That's a cult. Where are you going? I'm not going with you. He said, come on, you got to come with me. Come on, bring Courtney with you. And I said, oh, I'll go, I'll go. I, I, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And he kept on asking me. Finally, he went from bugging me. Finally, he ended up begging me. And lastly, he told me, I will buy you breakfast. He started bribing me. <laughs> and when you are hungry and you need money, someone says breakfast, you will endure any hour and a half service for the free breakfast at Denny's. And I walked into the church for the very first time. They had overhead projectors, Dr. Matt, back then, when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Overhead projectors. Pastor Leanne, I saw the words. They had me on song two, because back then they did five. I told you that. Song two. They did six. Song two, they got me. And in song two, I'm sitting right there in the second row. Who seats the new guy in the second row? And I'm telling you, you look like you're new. No, you're not new, right? Anyway. And I'm telling you, Pastor Leanne, Someone slipped Pastor Ralph Moore a note about me because when he was preaching, he was calling me out without using my name. And I was so mad, honey. I was so mad. He was strumming my face with his fingers, singing my life with his words, killing me softly with his song, killing me softly. And I said, who told him about me? And I didn't realize that that was the Holy Spirit back then. And at the end of that service, I raised my hand to give my life to Jesus. And here I am. And it hasn't been easy, but God did it. Come on, God did it. And you know what? No matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, you might feel unqualified. You might feel like you don't even deserve it. I want you to know that we don't deserve it. I want you to know that we are unqualified. I want you to know that the, what brings you into the room makes you qualified. What brings you here today, all, every, all your baggage, all your sins, all your habits, all your hang-ups, all your drama, all, all, all your roots, all your triggers, all that triggers. Let's bring it all to Jesus right now and watch him change your life from the inside out in the name of Jesus. Amen. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, I want to give people the opportunity to surrender their lives to Jesus by lifting up their hands. He's going to come into your heart. He's going to change you from the inside out. You are going to repent of your sins. He's going to wash you clean by the blood of Jesus that has washed you as white as snow as if you had never sinned before. And you will be brand new. You'll be born again. And if that's you, no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, no matter what schismology, no matter whatever thinking, whatever religion you might have come from, you are in the right place today because Jesus has brought you here. Your appointment time is right now. But I want you to know that he, it's not cheap. He gave everything, gave his whole life. I also want you to know that it's an open book test and the open book is the Bible. It's an open book test. Pass or fail question, just one question. What have you done with my son Jesus? You got to have the right answer. You got to have the right answer because heaven does exist and so does hell. But there is no purgatory. There's no reincarnation. You don't get a do-over. You get one shot at that life. And after this comes eternity and the judgment. So no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, hands are already going up at the count of three. I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to go one, two, three. When you
you hear me clap? At the count of three. If you need to make, make it right with God, if you need him in your heart, not that you, you think you need him, you need him. And he's gonna come into your life. He's gonna change you from the inside out. You're gonna find purpose. You're gonna find destiny. You're gonna know that you are loved and you are in the best church that you could be in right now. Get ready to raise your hand at the count of three. I want you to keep them up so that I can count. Is that okay? Get ready. One, he will never let you down. That's right. Two, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Get ready. Here we go. One, two, three. Come on, put your hand up. Put your hand up. Put your hand up. Got one right there. God, two. God bless you. Three right there and four right there and five and six and seven. God bless you. And eight and nine and ten right there. 11, 12, 13, 14 right here. 14, 14 and 15 right there. God bless you. God bless you. 16 right there. Come on. 17 right here. 17 right here. I'm on my far left. I'm on my far left. You're right. I'm on my far left. You're right. Raise your hand if you want Jesus. 14 right here. 15 right there. God bless you. 16 right there. 17 right here. And 18, my brother. 18 and 19 right there. Come on. Anybody else? Say, that's who I want. That's what I want. Anybody else? That's who I want. That's what I want. Anybody else? That's who I want. And that's what I want. I want everybody to thank the Lord right now. Come on, can we praise him? Okay, I got to hurry. Uh, I want everybody to repeat these words after me, especially the 20 people that just raised their hand. I want everybody to repeat after me. Say, Jesus, today, I surrender and give you my life. Thank you for dying on the cross, shedding your blood that washes my sins as white as snow. I also thank you that when I die, I'll be in your presence for all eternity. But while I'm here, be my strength for today, my hope for tomorrow, my ever-present help in my time of need. You're my God. I'm your child. The old is past. The new has begun. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, created to serve you and to bring you glory. So mold me, shape me, heal me, lead me, teach me, guide me, fill me, send me to fulfill your purpose here on this planet and in this city. In the name of Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.